Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Today on Church of the Week, a conversation with the lead pastor of Hillside Church of San Jose, Dr. Keith Crosby. Dr. Crosby holds his B.A. in political science and earned his MDiv and doctorate in ministry degrees from the Master's Seminary. He served in the outreach department at Grace Community Church in Los Angeles, also as an English pastor at a Mandarin Baptist Church of San Fernando Valley, and as senior pastor at Bethel Baptist Church before coming to Hillside in 2016. Dr. Crosby and his wife, Terry, have two daughters, Grace and Anna. And we understand there are no ties to the famous crooner, but it's rumored that he does occasionally sing in the shower. And Pastor Crosby, a delight to have you join us. It's great to be here, and the rumors are true, but I don't know that I want to go beyond that. Thanks. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, if if you come out with your first album, you sure be sure to let us know, and we'll we'll give it some airplay here. <laughs> Will do. Well, a delight to get a chance to spend some time with you and um, and get an opportunity to talk not only, not only about what God is doing at Hillside Church of San Jose, but also uh, your heartbeat for the church here in the Bay Area. And of course, we we come at this very interesting juncture in history. In fact, your tenure at Hillside Church is an interesting time in in history. You're right there in the very heart of the Silicon Valley. I know that you've shared with me privately in the past your burden for reaching people that are deep into technology and see that as the future, to also talk to them about this timeless God of the ages. And with that in mind, give, give me your sense as you kind of look back on your, your five years now in San Jose. What is God doing? You know, God is doing what he's always done. He's calling sinners to repentance, to forgiveness. He, you know, he stands ready, willing, and able to forgive anybody for anything if they'll accept his free gift of grace and salvation. And what we're trying to do here is to introduce people to that message. Our, our goal for the last five years is to change this community and this world one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ. And we do that by being an authentic Christian and in our authenticity and humility, trying to bring people to Christ and then build them up in the faith as they embrace Christ. We were sharing a bit before we came on the air today about the notion that the current state of what's going on in the country, in the world, really, in relationship to the impact of COVID, the tragic loss of life, the number of people that have suffered at so many levels because of this terrible pandemic, and how that in many respects, it tends to bring out both the best and the worst in people. Do you think that's also true in terms of the church, that sometimes there are periods of trial or great persecution that will either bring out the best in the church, meaning boldly moving forward and continuing without fear to preach the gospel, versus the, the worst of the church, meaning kind of running for cover, hiding out in the catacombs and hoping nobody sees you? I think that's true, Craig. You know, I, I think it was uh, Charles Dickens in uh, Tale of Two Cities who said it's the best of times and the worst of times. And I think that's what we're living in right now. I think we're living in an era, particularly in this country, where uh, this is the most probably one of the most difficult times for the church in America. Uh, from the governor's mansion here in California to the White House, we have 
administrations who, shall we say, are not Christian or church-friendly necessarily. And I think we have a culture that is post-Christian. They tend to label us as intolerant or bigots or things like that. And sometimes Christian people play into that stereotype. And I think pastors and churches and congregations do face a fork in the road. They can try to cut a deal with the culture. They can compromise their message. Uh, They can bury their head in the sand and hope their problems go away. Or, as I said earlier, we can play offense for the kingdom of God. And I think that God always calls his people to be faithful. And the Christian faith is a faith where we put our trust in a suffering Savior who also causes us to suffer. And so I think for a church to thrive and survive, as many churches are doing in this area, you cannot compromise with the culture. You just have to you know, sort of... Uh, Take your licks, as it were, in the community and just try to present Christ as faithfully and with as much conviction and and compassion as you can. But there is no room for compromise. And perhaps moments of of stress and challenge, it might be easier for somebody to say, well, look, that road ahead, that's wide. We can kind of get a sense of where that's headed. Let's take that nice wide path not recognizing that without failure, that inevitably leads right off the cliff. Taking that narrow road, that narrow path, not as fun, lots of twists and turns, very challenging at times, but in the end, the most productive, both in terms of the quality of the kind of Christian life that we live out, the sort of impact that we have in the lives around us, and the nature and totality of our relationship with Christ himself. And I suppose the big the big dividing line between the two, kind of that ses- sense of separation of chi- the wheat from the chaff, yep. must largely be those who have are learned, who have studied to show themselves approved, who who drove into the Word of God, learned it and applied it, versus those that kind of look at the Bible maybe as either a suggestion book or something at least nice to press flowers in on the coffee table. Well, that's it. You know, it, it, and it really does come down to uh, how you look at the Bible is how you look at God. If the Bible is just another book of wisdom, then this God that we serve is just one God and a pantheon of gods. And that's why one of the things we try to emphasize here at Hillside is we can either blend in with the culture, which makes us entirely irrelevant, just another social club, or we can stand out for Christ. And we can stand out in ways that are positive, where people look at us, our willingness to suffer for what we believe, our willingness to love the unlovable, and our willingness to share the gospel, whatever the cost, personally, professionally, or otherwise. And by God's grace, uh, they see something different in us. And we may, in some cases, get a fair hearing from someone. Uh, We know that many are called and few are chosen, as Jesus talks about. And we know that, as he talked about in the Sermon on the Mountain, you just referred to it, that wide is the way that leads to destruction. And that's a well-populated and well-traveled road. And narrow is the way that leads to life. And we want to take the narrow road. Uh, That might be the road less traveled, but it's the road that God has called us to tread upon and to try to take as many people with us humanly speaking. In that process, uh, oftentimes the church will get accused of uh, of being kind of a downer. We're, <laughs> we're the party pooper crowd, uh, meaning that we have a longer list of don'ts than we do a list of do's. I've even heard it articulated that people get a very clear understanding of what it is the church is against, but are really not clear on what the church stands for. 
And I would wonder in the process of being about the master's business in that that salt and light that is so desperately needed in this world today, if there are things that the church can and should be doing to do a better job at proclaiming truth, at, at turning on that light to dispel the darkness. You know, you make a very good point, Craig. I think what's happened in many cases, many of the churches, uh, many of the uh, accusations against the church ring true because in some sense, uh, many times Christians lose perspective and they look for worldly solutions to spiritual problems. I'm, I'm just struck today that so many people have turned to politics for, and they're looking for a political savior. They're looking for someone to come in and fix everything that's broken. And in reality, uh, we're falling into, in many cases, not always, but many churches fall into the same trap. And many Christians who make up these churches fall into the same trap that the Jewish people fell into when Jesus came. They were looking for a political messiah, a military leader, uh, and they missed the true messiah. And sometimes, sometimes Christians are seeking political and social solutions to theological, spiritual and moral problems. And when we do that, we do look like a bunch of legalists. And I, I think you're you're right on the money that oftentimes it's easy to look for a quick fix, an easy solution. And and sadly, as we look at societal problems today, we've got racial challenges and tensions in many communities across the United States, economic depression, a lot of the fallout of COVID has hurt a lot of families, not only in terms of health, but also economically. We look at the political turmoil and rust on Washington, D.C., almost coast to coast these days, and, and seek some kind of a solution to all of this. And, and maybe the failure is, and I'd like you to elaborate on this, maybe the failure is that we're looking for political solutions to what are at the core uniquely spiritual problems, problems of the heart. That's exactly it. You know, we have become short-sighted. And I think part of the problem is uh, that in many cases, people have their favorite Bible passages and their favorite Bible stories, but they really haven't read their Bibles as thoughtfully and carefully as they should. And I think some of the responsibility for that falls on the failure of pastors who who don't who don't teach the Bible as uh, carefully and maybe faithfully as they should. I mean, nobody's perfect. We all have our blind spots. But when we look at the world around us, the reason many Christians and churches are applying worldly solutions to spiritual problems or they're applying uh, uh, political solutions to spiritual, moral and, uh, problems is that they don't understand the book. We know how the book ends. Things are only going to be fixed, as it were, when Jesus returns. And they don't have a biblical perspective on history. History, from a biblical standpoint, is a downward trend towards the end times, you know, you know, and so whatever your eschatology is to the return of Christ and things aren't going to get better. Paul talks to Timothy in the pastoral epistles, first and second Timothy and Titus as well, but to Timothy about th people will go from bad to worse. Uh, that statue that terrified Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel explained shows a decay in civilization from the gold to the silver, you know, to the bronze, to the to the iron, things are going to go from bad to worse. And for Christians to try to prevent that is uh, 
folly because they end up resisting God. Mm. And what they need to understand is this world is a great Titanic and it's sinking. And rather than rearrange deck chairs on the Titanic, we need to be getting people into the lifeboats of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they will spend an eternity in heaven, no matter how their lives end in this world. Is there a sense in your mind, uh, I'm going to use your analogy of the Titanic, you know, the, the old joke about rearranging the deck chairs as the Titanic is sinking, and that image of the, the orchestra playing as people are going to their uh, watery graves. And, and I wonder if maybe there's culpability on both sides. And by that, I mean, it's easy for us to say, well, it's a fault of the preacher in the pulpit who is not boldly proclaiming God's word, who, you know, will mention a scripture or two and then head off into platitudes that just stroke people's egos and make them feel better, almost sort of a, a success motivation uh, workshop confined to, you know, 35 minutes on Sunday morning, along with, I wonder, the people in the pews that maybe seek after that, as scripture says, those with itching ears, uh, seeking someone who will tickle that ear. And so I'm wondering if part of this titanic experience that we're kind of you know plunging into is has layers of culpability both from the pulpit and in the pews as well i think that's a fair observation craig you know i i think there is a dual culpability craig i think that you know pastor and people need to have a love of god's word and the love of the god of that word and I think if that's not there, the church won't be healthy. The church won't be functional. And together, they need to love God and his word so much that they can do what that word says and reach out to a lost and hurting world, uh, counting the cost, you know, denying themselves daily, taking up their cross and following Christ. And if Christ is at the center of this, then there won't be that tendency to compromise or to tickle ears or to want to be liked by everybody. They just want to be found faithful by Christ. You mentioned before we came on the air today that you've been um, preparing some sermon notes for study in the book of Revelation, a fascinating place to be. Um, I, I would imagine as, as John was there on the island, there must have been moments that he was shaking in his boots uh, as he was yeah. taking this dictation down. But I, but I have to wonder, you know, we're, we're reminded in the book of Revelation that a time would come that men's hearts would fail within them for fear. Mm -hmm. And certainly fear seems to characterize the moment that we're living in right now, whether it's fear of rumors of wars in diverse places and earthquakes and volcanoes shooting off and rioting in the streets, political unrest, and certainly the impact of this global pandemic that's claimed just in the United States alone, almost three quarters of a million Americans in less than a year and a half, two years. And I have to wonder, is this a time for us to be fearful or from the church's perspective, from God's perspective, are we living in absolutely incredible, exciting times of unparalleled opportunity? Because in many respects, those are at both far ends of the continuum. I think what you just said, we are living in unparalleled times of incredible opportunity. One of the things about the book of Revelation and is this, it's the happiest book in the Bible. Jesus wins. He's going to wipe away every tear. And God has written this, this letter to us. That, you know, Revelation is an epistle. 
And he's written this to us to inform us of what's going to happen so that we're not in the dark, so that we can, as it were, seize the day. In fact, the thesis statement for the book of Revelation is Revelation 1-3. Blessed is the one who reads this book aloud, and blessed is the one who hears and keeps the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. And Revelation is all about living with purpose and urgency as history, redemptive history, comes to a close. And so it's a happy book. It's an encouraging book, and it's not nearly as mysterious as people make it out to be. And so I think this is a great time to live as a Christian because we have unparalleled opportunities in our communities and globally, even through technology. You know, as bad as some of the stuff is online, we have the ability to reach people we've never reached before. And the world has come to San Jose. This is a mission field. You have people here coming from closed countries that we can reach with the gospel right now. And that was one of the things, as I recall, uh, that, that you had mentioned to me um, previously that attracted you to come to the Silicon Valley and to pastor a church in San Jose, that it literally is ground zero for technology. And when you look at the mission field, my, my, uh, you know, there are those in the field of ministry that have to get a passport, learn another language, get into an airplane, fly a half a world away to find the quote unquote mission field. And yet here, and in San Jose in particular, all you need to do is open the front door, and there it lies before you. That's right. Uh, that You know, in Revelation, it describes heavenly worship in Revelation chapter 4, and it talks about people from every tr- tongue, tribe, and nation. And that's what you have here in San Jose. Forty percent of the people who live in my neighborhood are from some other country. And you have an opportunity day in and day out to reach and to meet people, to form relationships with and to tell them about Jesus who might never hear the gospel. And we are you're right. We are at ground zero. And these people are influencers and they can reach other people that we can't reach. And like I said, we are we were raised up for such a time as this here in San Jose as Christians. And, and is it a time then, as I think you're alluding to, Dr. Crosby, that the church really needs to return to both its first love as well as return to some of the fundamentals? And I say that because I think oftentimes there's a sense that after we've been in Christ for a while, we become a little bit jaded. Perhaps it just becomes kind of, you know, done by rote. We get up and go to church on Sunday morning because that's what we've always done. And we read the scripture in the morning for 10 minutes because that's what we've always done. We really are not thoughtful or purposeful in saying, you know, what is my goal? What is my mission here? And as I'm reading God's word, for example, not just to read it and say, okay, I did my 10 minutes. I've done my good Christian duty for the day. But instead to ask ourselves, what is the word saying to me? How do I apply that word to me? How do I live out that word so that others that see me say, there's something different about that guy. And and I'm not saying that we should not boldly be about the business of evangelism, but we also recognize in a place like Silicon Valley that the the lifestyle evangelism, the, the life that we present to others is often as loud a witness for the cause of Christ as the guy who stands on a street corner with a big sign saying, you know, repent or, or burn. Well, you're 100% right, Craig. You know, evangelism rings hollow without witness. You know, Jesus uh, says in Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses from 
Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the whole world. And the witnesses are those who are authentic Christians. One of the, you know, we talk, the credo of this church is we're here to change the world one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ. And we preach the word, I'll preach expositorily. But then we say, how do we do that? Be one, bring one, build one. Be the real deal. Be the authentic Christian, not the Sunday Christian, not the weekend warrior. I don't want to be uncharitable, but be a real Christian. And, you know, Christ calls us to deny ourselves daily, take up our cross and follow him. That means sacrifice. It means commitment. And when, when you read the Bible, you know, David says in the Psalms, you know, his opening prayer is uh, in one of the Psalms is, Oh, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word. That's the way we need to approach the Bible so that it changes us and the people see the change. They see people like themselves who struggle with sin, who struggle with all kinds of things, but who are struggling as as, we're not saved by works, but saving faith brings works. You know, faith without works is dead. And people can see that in us. They see our imperfection, but they see our sincerity and our struggle to live for the Savior. And I think that makes a huge difference, and it gives us credibility when we speak to them about the gospel. Well, we appreciate the time today, Pastor, and uh, we thank you so much for spending a couple of moments with us here today to get a chance to know a bit about you, your ministry, and uh, what God is doing today at Hillside Church. Well, thank you for having me, Craig. The pleasure was all mine. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.